Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. So pumped to have you listening to episode one, season two of the Love Good podcast. It is a great joy. In fact, I'm just feeling the privilege of it all uh, as I record this today because I, I realize, wow, this is an amazing thing to, to not just get to sit down with artists and thought leaders every week here at the beginning of season two of this podcast, but actually most importantly, to hear from you guys, our listeners, how this podcast is, is raising your standard for media, is elevating your everyday conversation with family and with friends about what it really means to be human. Trust me, I, I just feel incredibly lucky to get to do this and to be a part of this. So thanks for tuning in. It means the world to us. And just if few moments, we have somebody who's become a friend uh, as of late coming into the studio. She's actually amazing. Uh, I was slightly nervous the entire time that she was with me doing this interview because she's beautiful. She's talented. She's married. She was very pregnant at the time of the interview, uh, but actually just over a week ago, uh, she gave birth to her third kid. And of course, I'm referring to Ellie Holcomb. She's the wife of Drew Holcomb, who we had as our final episode of season one. The Holcombs, I would say, they're a Nashville's couple right now. I mean, we used to think, oh, Amy Grant and Vince Gill, and then it kind of became Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman. But I'll tell you, Ellie and Drew, in my mind, they, they are Nashville's couple right now, and just an amazing, amazing family. Today with Ellie, I talk about how beauty is disarming. She, she talks a lot about really how the church and culture need to be bridged, and people like her want to be that bridge. She even talks about kicking back at the shadows. So if you're someone out there who maybe struggles occasionally with, with darkness and with depression or with any sort of real suffering, uh, she's somebody who I think can can really uh, be an inspiration and a light in the midst of that darkness, kicking back the shadows, uh, especially with her music. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. The other thing I want to say is that actually beginning next week, I'm going to have a co-host. I'm not going to announce who she is until the end of this show, but she has been on the podcast before. She's an old friend, and we're going to have an ongoing dialogue every other week, again, about media, culture, and what it means to be human. I cannot wait to make that announcement. I cannot wait to sit down with Ellie Y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back here in just a few moments.
Ellie Holcomb, welcome to the Love Good Podcast. It is a total joy to have you. So, so fun to be here. Yeah. We've obviously <laughs> been trying to make this work for a little while. We have, it I was, feel, yeah. It feels good. It does feel good. Fun. The day has finally <laughs> arrived. <laughs> and it was such a joy to have Drew, your husband, in not too long ago. It was yeah. probably one of our most listened to podcasts because the conversation just like took some really cool turns. We talked a lot about culture and we're both reading Jordan Peterson and we just had a great time together. And there's, there's something that's very obviously standing out to me right now that you two are both very disarming. Like you have a way of just making people feel comfortable. Now, granted, like you're in my home right now and this is of course a lovely <laughs> podcast, but uh, to be honest, it's just a great privilege to have you. So thanks. Thank you. It's yeah. an honor to be here. What's it like being a Nashville native? You might be one of about seven people that I've spent time with in the last year that actually were born in this town. I was born and raised here. Yeah, it's it's crazy. crazy. It is. It is so, it's, it's honestly, it's so fun because it's my home, you know? So I feel like there's something about home. I feel like in, in some ways, all of us are trying to make our way home, you know? And right. so I, there's something about home that feels so good here. And I feel like Nashville has always been a friendly city. Like I was in Walmart the other day and there was a mom and her, her son who was enrolling in Belmont. And I heard the Walmart lady say, you know, if he just needs to eat a homemade meal, you just send him on to my house. And I was like, I love this city. I love it so much. Um, so it is, it has been so fun to watch it grow. I remember when like my version of like, I remember when we got our first Starbucks in Green Hills. I remember going to dancing in the district downtown. And so there's so much about this city that's so connected to music. And then my dad was in the music industry. So I literally grew up in studios. Like I was in, studios a lot as a kid and then singing background vocals on records from a really early age. So one of the things I love about it is that music just feels like really natural. I'm not really enamored with the music life. Like it just is sort of like, it's what people do here. And so um, I kind of like that there was something normalizing about not like a, putting people on a pedestal. I'm like, oh, these are just people making music. So I got to see that from a really Young age. It's amazing. And it seems cool. like that's just part of the ecosystem here. You know, yeah. I mean, okay, so let's be real. Your dad's Brown Bannister. I probably listened to, I don't know, 30 plus records that he produced. You know, <laughs> when I first discovered the industry here in Nashville, I was in high school and I was just obsessed, you know? And so his name was popping up on every other album I ever, ever purchased in the liner notes, you know? Remember those? Yeah. It's really crazy <laughs> to think about. And you're right. There's something really natural about the music industry and the culture sort of being infused in this town to yeah. where I think it's okay. We just have this unwritten rule that when you bump into Keith Urban at the grocery store, you let him be. You let him be. Which is awesome. It's really, really cool. It is. It, and I think there is a sense of, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, is it so cutthroat? Do you feel competitive? And certainly we all get into the game of like comparison. We can all do that. But really, for the most part, um, it feels like a town that celebrates its people. Like I am so grateful. Like, you know, all these people who are nominated for Grammys and you're just like, go home team. That's you right. know, That's you're right. kind of like for everybody. And um, I I think there's a lot of celebrating that happens. And within um, not just the musical community, but in the community we've experienced here. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Mm. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you've been in Nashville 
all your life, apart from that really unfortunate four-year hiatus out in Knoxville, right? Your University UT, of Tennessee. Bleeding orange. I'm glad that this is some visible shame. That's really good. Actually, let's be real. Most of us Vanderbilt students were just insecure because we're not as good at anything, uh, especially on the way, no. on, on the level of sports. Of sports. Yeah. Well, it's been some, I'm, I'm bowing my head because I'm like, it's been a rough season for us. I'm like, woo, I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful. It's but the I'm year. Like, it's always the year. balls, for yeah. real, please. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. So obviously you met Drew in college. Is that right? We did. Yeah. yeah. So we span across the state of Tennessee. He grew Memphis. up in Memphis. That's yeah. Right. I grew up in Nashville and then yeah. we met in Knoxville. It's pretty cool. It is. And you know what? When we started dating, I mean, it was the end of college. He was my best guy friend that I swore would never date. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and oddly enough, our first date officially was we, he took me to see Patty Griffin at the Ryman. Wow. And, uh, it's a good first date. It was really, it was a really strong first date. And he asked me out. Uh, we were in Oxford, Mississippi at a double-decker festival, and Emmylou Harris was playing. And he asked me, like, hey, he kind of gave me a heads up. He wanted to date me. He was like, are you ready for me to let you take? Like, I really would love to take you out now. Are you, you think you're ready? I had my heart broken, so he was giving me some space. Yeah. So our daughters named Emmylou after wow. Emmylou Harris because that's sort of when it all Began. It's really, really cool. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the beautiful things that everybody who knows you and or your husband is able to observe is that this is this is a very real, happy, I know it's not perfect, you know, but no, a beautiful marriage. It. it gives people hope that's possible. I was telling this to Drew and I'll repeat it just because it'll bring you joy if he didn't tell you this already, that we were at you alls show back in August, live on the green. Yeah. A bunch of high school girls were surrounded, me and a bunch of my <laughs> friends. We just noticed all these like... 15, 16 year old girls. And as you took this stage and sang some beautiful duet with Drew, all these girls were left and right thinking and saying out loud, we need to dump our boyfriends. Oh. Because they're seeing what it's supposed to look like. They're seeing good, beautiful, authentic oh. love between a married couple. And thinking, that's actually what I want. And the loser I'm dating right now will not get it's me there. not that. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. So it's this hidden thing that you guys bring to the table, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. And I think you bless thank a lot of for, people with that. Thank you for saying that. I, You know, we volunteer with an organization called Young Life. And so we're around high school kids with that a lot. I just spent got back from a week at a camp out there. Um, and it's so interesting because in high school, you are dialed in to relationships. That's sort of like where you are. And um, and there's a lot of really, there's, you know, as I encounter and hear people's stories, one of the things I love about music is that it's a bridge builder. It always, always, almost always connects your stories. And you can sing a song. I, I started writing really in high school, but in college, I was I always say I was like a bad version of Taylor Swift because <laughs> uh, I was having my heart broken a lot. And I was just writing about that. But I'd be, I would sit at night in the in the dorm room stairwell, because it sounds really good in there. At UT, they're all concrete. And so, you know, it's just, it sounds, it sounded good. And then I didn't wake up my roommate. But what would happen is girls would end up lining the stairwell and oftentimes would be drunk, lots of times crying. And I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't introduce myself. I would have my eyes closed and I would open my eyes and there'd be all these girls. And then what would happen is they would come and sit and they would say, thank you so much for seeing it. This is what I'm going through with this guy. And I'm like, Hey, I'm Ellie. Nice <laughs> to meet you. But I I learned then that that music connects our stories. And I've always loved that. So as I've gotten to hear a lot of stories about, especially from high school kids, a lot of broken relationships. And I have that in my background too, just like 
yeah, a lot of brokenness. Sometimes I would get discouraged hearing all these broken stories. And an older friend of mine said, I was like, how can we help them know that this doesn't have to be the way that it is? It doesn't have to be like, there's maybe something better. And she said to live a better story. I love that. To live a better story. And I told her this story of uh, a couple who invited us on a blind date. And they it was a surprise. They were like, hey, just meet us at five. Have an empty backpack. We're like, okay. And shoes you can wear in the water. And we were like, okay. <laughs> and they took us down. We were in Colorado at this Young Life camp. They took us down. And they they filled our backpack up with all these like, like with – you know, drinks and snacks, all these appetizers. And the sun was setting and we hiked down. They had two milk crates Mm. and we were like, what are we doing? And so, and some camping, like some camping chairs. So we hiked down this valley, walk into the middle of this river. They fill the milk crates with stones, bungee cord them together. And we sit in the middle of a river at sunset that was, you know, kind of a shallower place in the river and just had this great conversation. And it was like, okay, let's live this. Let's live a better story. So thanks for saying that. That means a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I want that for all of us is to like live a better story. I love that. And I think one of the common threads for me, or or maybe the word that best kind of helps me understand this reality is is beauty. You know, whether that's the beauty of your married love with Drew, the, the beauty of your music, the beauty of that moment in the shallow part of a river, it's disarming. You know, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, beauty disarms. There's a, there's a book that's all about this um, that just came out not too long ago. It's called Disarming Beauty. It's by, a, I think, a Spanish or an Italian guy. Okay. And it's really intense to think about that. Actually, this is the one thing that nobody argues with. This is the one thing that can sort of tear down any wall. And as you put it, sort of help people not only live a better story, but live a better story together and to realize that they're not alone. That in and of oh, itself yeah, is yeah. huge. This it is because <laughs> we're not we're not made to live alone, but so many of us do. Even even though we're more connected than ever, I think there's there's I feel it some days. You know that there's a loneliness. Uh, so yeah, in our conversation with Sandra McCracken, she was talking about the difference between these kind of surface level connectors, these surface level emotions, these surface level desires that actually really only point to something much deeper, this deeper <laughs> current, you know, that we all have that is ultimately an infinite desire, yeah. an infinite desire for God, which, you know, I, I'm really curious at some point to get to this point about, you know, the, the books you're reading, because uh, I sense that they're awesome and really inspiring <laughs> you. So they're going to inspire the rest of us. Sure. Before we go there, tell us a little bit about releasing your two full-length records. Uh, obviously, sure. the, the, the first one in t- 2014, is sure as the sun, it was highly acclaimed. We were all rooting for you at the GMA. Yes, that was really thanks. cool to watch unfold. I think there was so many of us that thought, wow, there's such a refreshing voice here. And it, it didn't feel like it was coming out of a mold. It was just so distinct and beautiful. Thank and, you. And that's, to me, like that's very Ellie Holcomb. But what was that like for you, even just sort of, taking a step aside from the neighbors and obviously having had like quite a, a career even with Drew and you still do quite a bit together, obviously. What's right. it like to now launch this whole new endeavor and to sustain that? Like I imagine you just have a lot of pieces. Yeah, there's going, a lot of moving you know? pieces. Yeah. yeah. And I, the, the best word that I can think of that shift is like terrifying <laughs> and unexpected. I, 
I really loved, it was a big deal when I sort of stopped touring with Drew because we had kind of been building this thing together and it wasn't, it was like growing, but I really felt like I wanted to be at home with our little girl. She, by the time she was six months, I think she'd been to 32 states in Canada. (laughs) And then by the time she was a year, she'd been to most of those 32 states again. And when she started walking, I was like, I've got to get this kid out of a car seat. Like we were in a van, like a Sprinter van at the time. I was like, "I, I think I need to be home. And I was writing I have a friend that battles depression pretty severely, and um, she and I really in an effort to kind of like kick back at the shadows with the with the light started trying to memorize scripture because we realized there are a lot of lies and darkness that we were kind of like letting own us, and we thought, man, we might need to anchor ourselves in something deeper and more infinite than than just, that's a lie, that's a lie. Like, we need an anchor. And, and kick so, back the shadows. I love that. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is, because it is. I, I mean, and especially in depression and anxiety, when that settles in, it feels like it is your only reality. It takes over. It takes over. Right. And so um, I I just remember feeling like light was going out of her eye. Like, the, you know, I'm like, where are you? I can't even see. You know, that kind of like longing, just needing something, um, needing rescue, needing hope in the dark. And so we started memorizing scripture together, like some of these promises that so much that's written in God's word is like speaks to that darkness, which I love that it doesn't brush over that. It doesn't say, oh, it will never be hard. Like kind of no, it's like acknowledges the suffering and the brokenness in this world. And in all of us. And um, it, as we started memorizing this, we're not very good at it, truth be told, but (laughs) um, as we started trying to memorize this together, it started giving us, it started changing us and it didn't necessarily change our circumstances. Like it wasn't like taking my friend's depression all away, but it was giving us solid ground to stand on when, when the shame storms rolled in. And so I, because I was bad at memorizing it, I was like, I can sing like a thousand songs. What if nothing new under the sun, but what if I just started sitting in some of these promises that I need to believe for myself and writing them into song? And so I really honestly thought that I was writing the music just for me and, and maybe for my friend. Um, when I first started, and Drew spoke a really beautiful thing for anybody who's like a creative. I kept trying to write songs for Drew's band, you know, and I, and then they kept accidentally being about like working out my faith. I'm like, this one's kind of about Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> and he's like, cool. That's not what we do really. But, um, but he's like, I just want to, I don't think I needed permission from him to do this, but he was just like, I think what you should do is just write what's coming out of you. Like, let it out. Don't try to, like, keep that pent up. And for whatever reason, like, just somebody giving me permission to let out what was inside. I love it. It was like someone lit. If I could not stop writing, I could not stop writing. I think in a nine-month period, I wrote about 45 songs. I, I just, I literally, it was like, I just wanted to keep going. And and so it has been such, when people started hearing these songs, like Drew, our manager, my dad, who's a producer, they were like, 
I think you need to record these. And I was like, nope, I am not going to do that. I quit to the band. I don't want to start another music career. Uh, But in the same breath was having uh, a lot of, I I was feeling, I was coming alive. There's that song, The Greatest Showman, Come Alive. There's so many things in that. I know there's so many things in that. But I was coming alive in a way that I never had before. I I was in intensive counseling learning that it was okay to not be okay, realizing that I had really become a liar first to myself and then to everybody else because I just didn't, I wanted to avoid pain. What I was finding as I entered into the pain and as I entered into my brokenness, I encountered love there and mercy there. And I was feeling sort of fully known and understood maybe for the first time. And then still accepted and loved. And uh, that was, I was like, I grew up in the South, in the church, and I was experiencing freedom like I never knew existed. And so there was a part of me that just thought, man, what if I could go be a mess in front of people and kind of work out my faith and song through other people? And that felt really scary. I'm like, this is the worst timing. We're like starting a family. It felt really scary. But I think it's been one of the things that's made me feel the most alive. Is that that Indiana Jones scene, you know, when he steps out and it looks like he's going to oh, die. Yeah. Yeah. That's how about how scary it felt. And then I've just had the joy of seeing the ground rise up underneath my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've kind of given a surrendered yes to where I felt like I w- the places that I was called to. It's amazing. Yeah. I think you're sort of like cutting into the very thing that has been the source of joy in my life. And I'd say it's like somewhere near the source of joy for anybody to recognize the mess, the brokenness, all of the imperfection, yeah. uh, to hold that up in the same light, like to be aware of it. It's like really good, you know? Sure. There's something humbling and necessary about being aware of our neediness, our littleness, our poverty, right? Right. But for that to be held up in the same light of this infinite love, this in unconditional, infinite, and yet intimate love, that's that's kind of wild and it's and it's liberating. You it's know? a game changer. It is a game changer. Like, you're it like, really oh, is. I can be a mess. I, th- and, and that's like almost the whole point. Exactly. It? You know? And I love that. And I think, you know, in the last seven years, one of the hardest things for me to talk about initially as it was happening was my older brother's passing away. And this was like mm. a big part of like an unfolding kind of testimony of my own kind of understanding of God and my own understanding of what it really means to be a family and to be a brother and to be a son, like all Mm. this stuff was unfolding at once. But the more I just let myself feel those things and enter into them and allow for the suffering and the brokenness to turn into like beauty and redemption, uh, there was a joy that I had never even had access to before. That was beyond what I thought possible. That's it. That's right. I, I think there's a sense of like, that pain is so deep. It just you're mm. like, that's gonna kill me. Like, yeah, that's I don't it. Know. like that's it feels it. like that's it's it. gonna kill that's you. But I love that just at at the center of this kind of more infinite story of love, there's a tomb, there's a grave, and and it's empty. And it's empty. <laughs> and it's empty now. Like it is like, but I love that it doesn't, you can't skip the grave and the death, the, the, the dying and the pain. I think one of the things, if beauty unites us all in, in the human experience, I'm pretty sure 
like pain and suffering, like everyone on the face of this earth knows what it is to suffer. And, and then so does God. That's <laughs> so right. you're like, That's right. what? That feels like a, a profound mystery. So walking through something like losing your brother, I wrote the last record that Red Sea Road that I released was written out of such like just seemingly senseless loss. Mm. And you're just going, mm. oh man, I do not understand all of this. And what's beautiful is I don't have to, because in the middle of it, I know that I'm not alone. And because there's an empty grave, like ashes are not ever the end of a story, even if I'm sitting in a pile of them right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so I'm really, I'm really grateful for that and continue to find that like kind of this profound mystery that continues to unfold for me. I love that. And actually you bring it Red Sea Road. One of the great privileges we had, I guess it was about a year and a half ago as that album came out, we were able to send it to all of our patrons and I think one of the things that that album really did for me and did for a lot of our, you know, folks who are really invested in this idea of beauty and culture and really like changing the world, you know, even if it's just like one little thing at a time, yeah. like bringing beauty to the forefront of our lives, even to the media that we consume with the hopes of just remembering what it means to be human mm -hmm. and what it really means to be loved. And so your album, I think in a lot of ways, it, it pulls back a veil because there's a there's a there's a mess or as you put it this kind of seemingly senseless uh season of loss yeah. that you were that you were processing there and yet it's just like covered in hope mm -hmm. and covered in you know there's a spanish phrase siempre adelante always forward that's kind of what hope is about oh. you know it's constantly <laughs> pulling us forward telling us things are going to get better mm -hmm. um i'm assuming that's something to do with this book that you're reading right now too every moment holy you know that actually like we have the opportunity if we can just Beg for the grace, you know, to see all of the beauty, all of the redemption, all of the power, all of the goodness behind all of the bullcrap yep. that is life. That doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> um, what is that like for you? And what, like, obviously this is one book you're reading right now, but how do you, how do you hang in there like that and always move forward? Sure. I think, I think one of the things that I love about Every Moment Holy by a guy named Doug McKelvey, who's here in Nashville. It's liturgies for the ordinary. And so there's a liturgy for morning coffee. There's a liturgy for losing something that was dear to you. There's a liturgy for planting flowers. There's a liturgy for changing diapers, which I don't like <laughs> there right now. Um, huh. But I, I was just reading the liturgy for planting flowers. I've been gardening with my little girl. And my little boy, he's really more into the worms more than me. He's just always looking for worms. But I've been gardening with my little girl, and there's a poem, and I'm not going to know who it's by. Andrew Peterson is the one who uh, said it to me, but it, it basically was like planting seeds in the ground changes my perspective of the rain. Wow. Yeah. In this book, Every Moment Holy, he he basically just talks about how we literally bury a seed into the ground, and it the flowers are the protest of the darkness all around us because something literally goes under the ground and then what seems like it's dead out of that death springs up new life. And, and that's why we plant flowers. And that's why the beauty matters because it's an echo of what we were made for. Boom. And it's an echo of what ultimately will be. And so I think there is a perspective shift for me. You know, I'm a mom of young kids and there's a lot of ordinary, you know, there's a lot. And 
in every single moment, if our perspective can shift to see it, there are glimmers of extraordinary beauty and love and hope all around us. And so I love any kind of book that sort of shifts shifts my vision in that way and shifts my perspective in that way. Love it. Um, and that book is doing it right now um, in many ways. And then I actually wrote a kid's book called Who Sang the First Song? Yeah. And it loosely follows the creation story, not so much how creation came to be, but why and whose we are and who we are and what we're made for. And so it's been this really beautiful thing as I'm with my kids day in and day out, they're asking questions about the sun and the trees and all the, these physical evidence of, of things that are more than physical, things that are eternal. And it has been, it feels like picking up breadcrumbs, you know? And so that's what that book helps me do too, is picking up breadcrumbs to truth into beauty into what we're made to do, which is to share that with one another. So you aren't by chance a, a fan of GK Chesterton. I love, I love yeah. He Chesterton. talks about this eternal appetite of infancy. You know, the kid that is always telling you again and again and again. Do it again. That's it. That's when it. he makes a daisy, yeah. he says, <laughs> do it again just for the joy of it. That's right. Sandra and yeah. I, Sandra McGregor, who was just on uh -huh. here, we just wrote a song together. That? Literally about that quote That's awesome. out of uh, Psalm 91 uh, I love it. Of, of this, like, we're made, yeah, to yeah. do it again That's for the it. joy. And we've grown old in our sin. We've sinned and, and grown old. is younger than us. Yes. It's so good. Well, I'll be eager, eager, eager to hear that song. It's really cool. But it reminds yeah. me so much of what you're describing that, in fact, so much of this life is regaining that childlike wonder yeah. and sense of awe that we all once had. Yeah. So that's really cool. Let's just briefly chat then about the children's project that you do have coming out in sure. September. Um, when it releases, this actually, it's already out at the time of this podcast <laughs> releasing. Let's be real. Right. So we want to just go ahead and raise the banner high. How can people get their hands on the album and the book for that matter? And the book. Yeah. So who sang the first song is the book. And they can go to ellieholcomb.com. It's at Lifeway. Mm -hmm. And I think it'll be other places too, but I'm not sure <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be in like Target and on Amazon and all that <laughs> stuff too. Just go looking for it, guys. You're probably going to find it. Who sang um, the first song? Who sang Perfect. the first song? It was a question that my daughter actually asked me. Mm -hmm. And when I asked her who uh, she thought sang the first song was, she goes, I don't know. Dolly Parton, which <laughs> is awesome. At the beginning of creation. At the beginning Dolly of Parton. creation, Dolly Thank Parton. <laughs> and so it's been such a fun thing to explore and, and to talk about with them and have a little test audience in my in my home as I've written the songs. The song is the the little kids record is called Sing and then Creation Songs. And so my hope is that it'll help little hearts carry around big truths. I love it. Um, and that'll that'll be conversation starters for children and the adults in their lives. So yeah, you can get it at ellieholcomb.com and that'll send you to all the places that you can yeah. get it since I don't know exactly where they'll be, but Lifeway will have it as well. That's perfect. If you're, a, your, if you're a brick and mortar I try. person. And there's a few of us still out there. <laughs> there a are, few, yeah. You know? Well, thank you, Ellie. This has been an absolute joy. Everybody go check out all the new things coming from Ellie. Yes. And also like you got some really cool collab, you know, collaboration with your husband that are out right now. Everybody yeah. that I heard who heard you and me just was sort of like uh, putting in y'all's hands. Oh, you know, they just thanks. were obsessed. And, it's been uh, really fun. Y'all are killing it. So don't stop anytime thank soon. You. And just know what a joy it's been to have you in today. Thank you, friend. Joy to be here. You're asking me to thank 
conversation with Ellie Holcomb. I mean, seriously, uh, I'm so humbled and grateful and overjoyed that she was able to be with us to share so many stories uh, and even just to kind of understand better her heart and what it really means for her to be a wife, to be a mother, to be an artist, and to keep her faith and her family right at the heart of everything. That is so inspiring and honestly, in the world that we live in today, so unusual and so rare. So what a gift. What a gift. Ellie Holcomb, I'll be following her. She's got a children's book that just came out. She's always doing something amazing. She really is one of the rising stars in the CCM world. And uh, at this point, I just want to go ahead, before we close out, make this very exciting announcement that I told you about. Next week is not going to be an artist interview, uh, but rather an ongoing conversation with my co-host beginning next week. And this is the big moment. So drum roll, please. Okay, yeah, I don't actually have that sound effect yet, but everybody, Joining me for season two every other week for this ongoing conversation about media, culture, and what it means to be human, Alana Boudreaux. Okay, she's not only a beloved singer-songwriter, she's not only really kind of a philosophizer. I mean, she is genius. Like, I'm always sort of challenged by the way that she sees the world, and she's constantly working on behalf of love good artists, love good patrons to help all of us raise our standard for media to inspire us to build a better culture. And again, this is just going to be such a privilege to have her into the studio every other week moving forward. Yes, again, Alana Boudreaux, everybody. Uh, You guys have been amazing. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We've got really a lot of things happening. There's going to be a new episode every week for probably the next 30 weeks. So season two is going to be even longer than season one. Uh, out in the distance, we've got conversations coming up with the Annie Moses Band, with Cimarelli. Uh, actually, next week, we're going to be announcing the release of a brand new free sampler from Lovegood that you cannot get anywhere else. So basically, get excited for that and just know that we love you guys. We're so grateful for you coming alongside us and really joining us on the front lines of building a better culture. You guys are amazing. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.